We are in our second week of the series that we're calling The Unlikely Advent of Jesus Christ. Our theme verse is 1 Corinthians 1, and this is the lens through which we are looking at these familiar characters, looking for fresh meaning in our lives. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the lowly things of this world, and the despised things, so that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. The narrative of Scripture would look completely different if you and I were to write it. And the advent of Jesus Christ is a classic example of how God worked in ways that confound the wise and challenge even the most faithful. But when we look back and see what he did, we see it was the very wisdom of God for us. And sometimes God works that way just so that we can't boast in ourselves, but we boast in him. You start out thinking you have your life completely planned. We have lots of college students here, and of course right now it's all about shaping your life. How many of you have changed your major at least once in the time you've been at college? Anybody here? All right, how many still haven't declared a major? Yeah, we'll be praying for you. At that stage in your life, it's all about framing your future. What am I gonna do with my life? And I can tell you that at your age, I thought I was gonna be a professional musician for the rest of my life. And I got to do that for about 10 years. But God had a completely different story to write. And then I found myself on staff at a church and thought this is what I wanna do the rest of my life, just run youth groups. And, and then I ended up filling a pulpit and became a pastor. Never saw that coming at all. And I didn't see the dark season in my life that came before God launched the journey, and I never saw the journey in my narrative. God writes his own narrative in our lives, and sometimes it is anything but the narrative we would write. And you don't see that in any other person as well as you see it in the person we're gonna look at today, and that's Joseph, the unlikely adopted father of Jesus. We find his story in Matthew chapter one, verses 18 to 24. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife and he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. 
Okay, so right away I'm just going to get this over with. It's the last sentence we read, and some of you are going, wait, what, what? They consummated their marriage? What about all this that the church has traditionally said, that Mary was a perpetual virgin? No, that's not the story of Scripture. Joseph honored Mary's purity until she gave birth to Jesus, and then they were fully married. And we know that they had kids. James was the brother of Jesus. And so that's the real story. And let's back up now that I've cleared up that for all of us. And let's look at Joseph. We're going to break this up into four things. We're going to talk about Joseph's dedication, Joseph's dilemma, Joseph's dream, and then Joseph's decision. I came up with all D's today. My dad would be proud. Joseph's dedication. Contrary to some of the ideas that have been proposed over the centuries, as Lou pointed out last week, Joseph was most likely a young man who at the time we are introduced to him seemed to have his whole life in front of him. He had found a godly woman to share his life with. He had a trade. They would never be rich, but they would be fine. They lived in a small town, Nazareth. Nazareth had only about 400 people living in it. Imagine that. But when we meet Joseph, he's a good, godly man. We see that he's faithful to the law. In this time of writing, that means he was a man that followed the word of God. That's the scripture. The law referred to the whole Old Testament writings, traditionally. This isn't talking about the legalistic type of fundamentalist Judaism that existed in Joseph's day. Uh, that was exemplified by the Pharisees who had created their own set of laws and codes to live by, just like uh, many elements of Christianity over the years have created their own lists of do's and don'ts. This is what it means to be holy and not. That wasn't Joseph. He was a truly righteous man. In fact, that's what the early translations say in that section where our text says he was faithful to the law. They call him a righteous man. There's a big difference between those like Joseph in the time of Jesus who were truly righteous, committed to God, loving God, faithful to his word, and those who were self-righteous, who through their own way of living sought to prove somehow that they were worthy of God's blessing. There were plenty of those around. That was not Joseph. Joseph was a descendant of David. Matthew takes time before this to give us that whole lineage to help us understand he was from the royal line. He may have been from royal line, but he was not royalty. He was working class. If this story was happening today, and if Nazareth was someplace in Worcester, Joseph and Mary would be living on Bell Hill or on Maine South, not on the west side. They were working class people who loved the Lord and had their whole life in front of them. As Lou explained last week, betrothal in the Jewish tradition is really the first stage of marriage, not like our engagement. Can I tell you that Derek and Michelle got engaged this week? I did not ask permission to tell you that. So now they are engaged to be married. They are not husband and wife yet. They're planning for it. In the biblical times, this was marriage phase one. It was marriage without cohabitating. They were considered husband and wife. The only way you could get out of it would be through divorce. 
Joseph was probably building the extension on his family's home that would be the place where he and Mary would live. Mary was sewing. There were traditions that they did during this season, but they were considered husband and wife. Joseph was a skilled craftsman. Traditionally, and I may really be breaking your Christmas story bubble here, Traditionally, we refer to Joseph as a carpenter, but the Greek word is tekton, and it simply means craftsman. It's as likely that Joseph was a stonemason as he was a carpenter. And if you think about Jesus' teaching, how often he uses stonemasonry in buildings and cornerstone and all those images in his teaching, it actually could make more sense. And so I don't want to shatter your thought that Jesus was a carpenter from Nazareth. But that doesn't have to be part of the story. Jesus really was the son of God, the savior of the world, you know. Whether he ever took on his dad's trade, we actually don't know. What, what we want you to understand is that Joseph was a blue-collar skilled worker, worked construction in some way or another. He was Glenn Williams. <laughs> Joseph was a good, godly man. But Joseph had a serious dilemma Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Joseph was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And so he had in mind to divorce her. Now, this is a really important point. You know that the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream and says, what Mary's saying is true. And so we go, well, of course then, I'd believe it too. You know, we say it wasn't really that hard for Joseph to deal with this. But what's critical as we look at this story is that Joseph made the good, godly, and righteous choices that were available to him before the angel spoke to him. Just imagine his situation. Mary, the young woman that he's fallen in love with, they're planning their life together, comes to him and says, I'm pregnant, and there was no man involved. Now, we accept this as part of church teaching, but please bring it into a first-time experience of this. This had never happened before, and it's your daughter or the woman you're engaged to be married to. And they're saying, honestly, there was no man. It just doesn't work that way. So Joseph is a good man, but what are his options? I can think of all the turmoil that's going through. Here's a woman I love, and she's clearly lying. Of course she's lying. Why is she lying? There's, there's only really three possibilities that she had an affair or that she was raped. The third is even more dark to consider. Some dark secret in the family. And she's either lying and knows it Or she's convinced herself of this as well, which means she's not just lying, she has gone off the deep end, she's had a breakdown, and she's convincing herself of a story, maybe to protect someone who's important to her. I mean, just really think through all the things that would go through your mind if if you didn't have the dream that was about to come. And here's the thing, Joseph had every right in an honor and shame-oriented culture to exact what the law said would be required for someone caught in adultery, which would be to put her to death. That's what the self-righteous Pharisees would have done. 
In fact, they brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery to Jesus and said the law says such a person should be stoned to death. Joseph would have been within his rights, within the law. But you see, because he was a godly man, he knew that the law was also about God's mercy. And he also didn't just love God, he loved Mary. And even though he could have made it about his pride, he could have gotten away and started all over, he was already inclined to deal with Mary in an honorable way. That says a lot about Joseph. And I believe it was that sensitivity to the things of God that allowed him to hear God when God showed up in a dream. So if you're sitting here thinking, it'd be easy for me to make decisions if God would just tell me, I'm gonna tell you when God's willing to tell you if you're already hearing his voice through his word if you're already in relationship, if you're already shaping your decisions around the things that you know God has revealed to you, if you're living out of love because God is love, then I believe you can expect God to direct you, sometimes miraculously, but always he will direct a heart that's willing. So don't go looking for the revelation of the dream if you're not walking in the revelation of scripture. Does that make sense to you? That was Joseph. In some sense, we are all Joseph. (laughs) God would eventually bring Joseph into the truth via a dream, but before that moment, he represented all of us, our struggle with the unlikely way God chooses to work, which often calls for abandoning our own plans and preconceptions, and always calls for the exercise of faith. And when we make the righteous choice, we are ready to hear God speak. Joseph has a dream. The dream is, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now this presents an opportunity to pause because in fact, the Lord through a dream confirms that Mary is miraculously pregnant by nothing other except the creative work of the Holy Spirit. This allows us to take a couple moments in this Advent season and just ask the question, why? Why was the virgin birth so important that it would put Mary and Joseph through all of this stuff, all this garbage they had to deal with their whole life. Why couldn't Jesus just have come to life the way every one of us does, through a man and a woman? Why the virgin birth? Well, the text itself helps us a little bit. If you're not taking notes yet, this is the time to take notes. Because I wanna share with you three reasons why the virgin birth is so critical to the person of Jesus Christ and therefore to our faith. First, Jesus had a heavenly origin. The most important reason to hold the belief in the virgin birth concerns Jesus' identity as God the Son, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. If Joseph were his true father, then Jesus would be only a human being. He would not be the son 
of God, as Scripture clearly states. That which is within her will be the Son of God. He would have had his beginning in time rather than eternally existing. I want to take you through a couple of important verses. Look at this one from John chapter 1. Let's say that together. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and lived a while among us. So that's the first thing I want you to think about. The second is that Jesus needed to have, and this is important, a sinless nature. If Jesus had a human father, then he would have inherited a sinful nature as the rest of us have. If Jesus were the son of Joseph, then his sinless character would only be a myth. Now, we tend to think that we only become sinners when we do something sinful. All of us like to think our kids are angels. There's a mother who's had some experience. When you're holding them in their arms, you can't think they'll ever do anything wrong, right? But it doesn't take long to believe in this thing called sin nature. We don't have to be taught it. The myth is that if you leave a person apart from society and teach them to do good, that they'll become morally perfect people. Show me where that's ever worked. The fact is we are born sinners. The Bible refers to that as a sin nature. And we inherit that spiritually through Adam and Adam's seed. Let's look at a few passages of Scripture that speak about this. Romans 5, Paul says, Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. Thus death spread to all because all have sinned. The fact that Jesus did not have a male component to his conception means that he can rightly declare that he was sinless at birth. And Jesus did live a sinless life. He could have sinned, but it was not in his nature to sin like it is ours. And so we see in 1 Peter 2, Jesus committed no sin, nor was any guile in him. And one more verse, that's 1 John chapter 3. Let's say this together. You know that he was manifested to take away our sins, for in him there is no sin. You see, if Jesus was born just through Joseph and Mary, the idea of his sinlessness would, would be a myth. And that would make the third reason impossible. And that is that Jesus came to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that's why the nature of his coming into this world was as important as the nature of his death. Without the sinlessness of Christ, there would be no salvation. God required a sacrifice that was without blemish. And because Jesus came into the world by supernatural means and lived a sinless life, he could be that sacrifice for our sins. Here's a couple of verses. When the fullness of time had come, that's we're in the season right now, we're looking at the story of the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. 1 Corinthians 5, and the result is this. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become our sin, to become sin for us, 
so that we might become the very righteousness of God. How important is the virgin birth of Jesus? It's so important. There would not be salvation without it. And by the way, Mary did not need to be conceived immaculately because in Adam all die. And if Mary could be conceived immaculately, then Jesus could have been conceived immaculately anyway. So it's not part of the story. Last week, Lou did a great job helping us understand we honor Mary, we bless her for who she was, and grateful that she made the choice she did to become God's servant and the mother of Jesus. All right, so now we go on and we have to see what decision Joseph made. And you know what the decision was. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he obeyed the Lord. He gave him the name Jesus, just like the Lord said. And that verse is a snapshot that opens up to the rest of Joseph's story. Here's what's going to happen. In saying yes to God, Joseph will be required to set all of those plans aside that he and Mary had been making. It was not the usual thing to uproot your family in those days. But yet he was forced to uproot his family. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And they lived there for two years, set up a home there. And maybe he begins to think, we're gonna settle in now. The controversy's done. Jesus is here, leave that in God's hands, and now we'll get back to life as usual. And so he begins plying his trade. And maybe he's thinking, this is okay, not not really too bad. And then two years in, these strange visitors show up, not just from out of town, but completely out of culture, completely out of place. Magi come from the east and invade the home where Joseph has been providing for his young family. And they worship Jesus. And then a second dream tells Joseph, you need to get up and flee because Jesus' life is at risk. Joseph takes Jesus and Mary and they head to Egypt where they live as refugees. Joseph has to figure out how to provide for his family for that season of time. There probably was a Jewish community down there. We know in Alexandria, at least, there's a very strong Hellenistic Jewish community. And we don't know how much they were able to help, but just imagine being the dad of this young family, having to flee. Imagine the the families that come to the United States with no idea of how they're gonna care for their family. We have uh, very dear friends who clean our facility. They're not refugees, but they came from Mexico to the United States to provide a better opportunity for their sons, one of whom is Cesar Rivada Neira. Many of you know Cesar and Heidi who planned to go on the mission field, Agada and Jesus. Agada was a lawyer in Mexico. Jesus was a CPA. Here, they clean our church because jobs don't translate. Imagine that. Imagine Joseph trying to figure out how to make ends meet and provide for his family as a refugee in a foreign country. Eventually, there would be a third dream. (laughs) 
And Joseph would bring his family back to Nazareth. Everything comes full circle. He gets back engaged in his profession. They settle into life, and for a few years, it seems that God's upside-down journey has finally reached a place where Joseph can get back to his original plans. And for a very few years, life is normal. There's more kids, Jesus growing. We don't really know much about Jesus during that period. It's fair to assume, based on Luke chapter 2, that Jesus had to grow in wisdom, which means he didn't have all the wisdom in place as a child because he had surrendered all that was his right as God, Paul says in Philippians. He gave all that up. And so Joseph was charged with raising even Jesus up to understand the law and to honor God. Imagine that. But then there is a moment, maybe just a few years later, we don't know how long they were in Egypt, and we don't know how long life had gotten back to normal in Nazareth, but then there was that trip to Jerusalem. One of many trips they had taken, but Jesus was at a pivotal point of transition in his life between boyhood and manhood. And this time, on their way back home, Jesus is missing. And they find him in the temple debating about the law with the priests and the teachers of the law. And when they find him, they express shock and concern. And this is a defining moment, not only for Jesus, but for Joseph. Because Jesus looks at them and says, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Clearly, the transition was taking place. It does say that Jesus went home and continued to live in subjection to Mary and Joseph, and he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so Joseph still had some role to play, but the shift had clearly happened. Jesus had moved out from under the protection of Joseph and was now stepping into his own as Emmanuel, God with us the one true Son of God, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And that chapter is the last we see of Joseph. We don't really know what happened. He could have died at a young age. It could have been he understood his need just to step back and let Jesus be seen uniquely, not as his adopted son, but as God's true son. We, we don't really know what happened with Joseph. But we do know that Joseph said yes to God. He was willing to put his entire life plan on hold. He was willing to do whatever was required of him for God's purposes to be fulfilled. And because Joseph said yes, we all are sons and daughters of God. Truth is, God's story is always more beautiful than ours. It's not easier, <laughs> but it's always better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Joseph, for the model that he is for us, and for the gift he gave us of saying yes to you, to becoming the father protector of your son on this earth, and then gladly 
stepping aside so that Jesus could enter into the work of his true Father, his heavenly Father. I'm just thinking about the ways we make our plans (laughs) and try to get you to rubber stamp our plans. What we really want, Father, as we look at Joseph's life and Mary's and so many others, what we really want is what you want for us. My prayer, Father, is that we would always be willing to say yes to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.